0: Welcome to the School Business Leadership Podcast. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be a school business leader in another country? Well, you're about to find out. Yes, the podcast is going international as I speak to Katie Taylor, a school business leadership professional from Australia. We talk job titles, job roles, leadership structures, networks, professional development, and a whole lot more. Let's dive in. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Katie Taylor. Katie is a manager of corporate services in a small country beach town approximately 400 kilometres, that's 250 miles, north of Perth in Western Australia. She's been working in education for over 10 years in lots of roles, but primarily in school business management. She's worked in both senior high school and primary settings, but has now settled into primary. Currently, Katie is the MCS of Western Australia's oldest continually operating state school, with heritage-listed buildings dating back to 1870. Having emigrated to Western Australia from Wiltshire in the UK with a husband and two daughters 15 years ago, she made her way into education in remote Western Australia as it was the only administration job going in a small mining town where her husband had been stationed after returning to the workforce when her children were school age. Katie's background was in banking and small business management and administration in the UK before having her children, although in a previous life she qualified in performing arts. In today's episode, we are going international and we are talking about the life of a school business manager in the UK versus the life of an MCS in Australia. Welcome, Katie.
1: Thank you, Laura. Great to be here.
0: First of all, I said first international episode. I'm so excited that you're here. But how did you find our podcast?
1: I was on Twitter and came across a comment about English education, which then led me to your Page and your podcast and everything you do, and I was looking for podcasts to hit a road trip home after dropping my daughter in Perth, driving the as I say for four hour journey. Found your podcast and spent the next four hours laughing, crying, empathising, saying "Oh my word, me too!" All the way home.
0: I mean, it's amazing to me. I'm still not over the fact that you know you're listening to this in Australia and. That just seems crazy. But the fact that you have found some similarities there in terms of the roles, in terms of things that you were smiling about and laughing about, what were those things? What struck you most about the role that you do and the role that we do here in the UK? I think
1: on the whole, it's that the job appeared to be almost identical. Our settings may differ. We don't have mats and the school setup is different but the actual job role the what we do and how it affects the kids the fact that we are those crisis management people some days you hit the ground before the the bag has even gone down or the coffee cup has even hit the desk uh another mm-hmm. days you think what did i actually do today um and then you realize that you actually did do a lot of things they they're all same And then as I got into your podcast, and some of them were talking about some things that really hit me on a personal level, that um, self-doubt, that uh, imposter syndrome, I just went, wow, okay, it's not just me then. I'd say I've been Mm -hmm. doing school business management for nine to 10 years, my job role itself for seven of those, and I still sit there and think, I'm sure that everybody else is doing it much better than I am.
0: I hope that people listening are thinking, well, wow, you know, we feel like this over here. It resonates not just with other business managers in this country, but in business managers everywhere. But we're going to talk today, aren't we, about the similarities and the differences. But let's just pick on this job title because I'm talking about school business managers and we're talking in Australia about manager corporate services.
1: Yes, um, indeed. So we were originally called bursas. Uh, we then rolled into registrars. And and very much so, it it was a discussion from as long as I can remember in education that if anybody thinks of a registrar, they talk medical terms. It's, it's a junior doctor. It's not somebody that is in a school and running the office or doing the paperwork or doing the finance. And so people didn't know and don't know what we do. So... Australia being Australia, we're all different names across each of the states in Australia. So if you go to Sydney, so New South Wales, they're called school business managers. If you come to Western Australia, Mm -hmm. we are manager corporate services now. This was a review done by the Department of Education, um, lots of consultations, and
0: somebody somewhere
1: decided that was the best one for us. So it's not manager of corporate services it's just manager Mm. corporate services.
0: In your experience or in your opinion which one is more senior is there a seniority or is it just the same but just called a different name?
1: No so across the states it's the same job role Um, and by the sound of it um, and from what I now know and listening and basically exploring with you a little bit more the school business manager role is the same role that that I do as a, as a MCS, as we're known. So now, of course, in Australia, they shorten everything or uh, acronym everything as they do in education. And basically, so we are MCSs. So if you ring another school, you'll ask to speak to the MCS.
0: I think your actual handle says, you know, a business manager by another name.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think that is absolutely it. I think it does, that, that sums it up. Um, my kind of, that's how I see it from listening. And and what I read is that we handle the finance side, we handle the HR, we handle the building facilities. Now, if you're lucky and you work in a larger school, you probably have somebody that is also your facilities person or might be your accounts person or might be your HR person. When you work in a small school, um, we are currently around the 382 enrollments. I have myself, I have the most wonderful school officer who sits at the reception and is the face of the school. And uh, we're just training up another person as well. Um, and she does do what she can do to help me out when I get snowed under, but she has her job role to do as well. So the rest of it does fall into the scope of the MCS.
0: How you describe that is very similar to how like you say, what happens over here in terms of our smaller schools, or especially our small primary schools, you know, everything is usually the business manager supported by one, maybe two people in the office, depending on the size, plus potentially the caretaker, usually part-time. So yeah, very yeah. similar structures. You know, anything that's not teaching and learning, it's you, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And that is that is it. If it's not the learning side and the curriculum side, it's Ask Katie in my, my in my land. Definitely, it's it's don't know don't know what to do with that. Go see Katie. Got an ICT problem. Go see Katie.
0: So here's a question: We've established that the role is the same across the two countries, but from a seniority point of view, where does it sit in terms of the leadership hierarchy? Are you on what we call the senior leadership team?
1: So I am, and I'm not. So in terms of seniority, again, it sounds so similar to some of the conversations I've heard that if you're lucky enough to have a principal and deputies that think, yep, your input is valid and you're required, um, then you sit on the senior leadership team. My principal says, I know you're busy. Do you, do you want to come into this one? It's going to be about mm. X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Other people's principals don't value that and don't believe that the MCS has the need to be involved because it's curriculum based and they don't know, they don't have a teaching degree um, and therefore why would they need to be in there? It's just going to be an interference to them.
0: Sounds exactly the same as the conversations that we have over here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think
1: some of it stems from the fact that they have the education degrees and the more education is discussed for our roles, uh, even down to the, what we call school officers. I don't know what you would call your front office ladies or gentlemen, but they they need the recognition and the fact that the qualifications they could have or may be able to get need the recognition within the education system. And it, again, I think I heard that mentioned the other day by one of your guests and that the the equity of that needs to be and by the sounds of it worldwide recognised that the business management role is as important as the curriculum and learning side of things.
0: Is that something that is the topic of conversation amongst business managers in your area because I know you'll see on Twitter and you've heard on the podcast it's a topic of debate here a lot.
1: Yes absolutely um the Department of Education, actually, uh, our Director General strongly believes that managers of corporate services should be set amongst the leadership, that um, we should be there leading and guiding with our principles. It probably stems from the workforce element that is in their middle to latter end of their careers um, that still struggle with this because. The bursars or registrars as they were back then were the um and I'm gonna collectively group the little women, they were the 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 especially in the small country towns, they were the farmers' wives, they were the the people that just came in to help out and do the admin and the paperwork. Whereas the job role has evolved in such a huge way, and and not just on a an Australian setting, um in a worldwide setting is my understanding, that education and educational institution now goes beyond just face-to-face learning we are a business Mm -hmm. you cannot escape that so so the need to have both sides is crucial the principal cannot do it all
0: no because they have got to that position because they are an expert in teaching and learning And like you say, the two sides of the same coin, one can't exist without the other. We need resources and financial management to deploy those resources in the most effective way to deliver effective teaching and learning.
1: And that's my standpoint with why every single SBM, MCS, school business manager, whatever your job title is, if you're in the role we do, should always be on the leadership team.
0: Is there an appetite amongst your principals to make that happen as well? Or is it largely a bit like it is here in the UK in terms of when there's a role advertised, the principal decides where that role will sit and how that role will operate. Do they have that choice?
1: Uh, No, they don't. Um, Our public school system is very much governed by the same setup in terms of... And the best way I heard it described fairly recently was that the when they're setting up a new school the first two roles that are employed for that school are the principal and the mcs Mm -hmm. um and so they they are they should be they work together for the first year or whatever whilst they are physically building the site putting the site together purchasing everything that needs to be purchased from furniture through to then arranging, basically doing staffing and all those things and so There needs to be that continual alignment um, of which the appetite is growing, certainly. And again, unfortunately, it seems to be growing in certain categories of staff. Again, I don't wish to be ageist, but the the younger up and coming principals seem to be more, I guess, realistic that they can't do it all that they will burn out quicker and maybe that's a a generational thing um, that they have that realisation it's no longer necessarily a career for life whereas when our parents were in their careers they had one career for life so if you became a teacher and you wanted to become a principal then that was what you did whereas people don't stay that way so much anymore and I think the younger generation coming through now are definitely going I want to be a principal uh, but it's then after that I want to go and do something else and it may still be in education but it may be outside of education as well.
0: And I think you mentioned before about maths that you don't have them and like I think that has created a career path for our head teachers and principals over here in terms of moving to CEO or school improvement roles or things like that. So what is the career progression for school business managers and head teachers slash principals in Australia? How, how do they develop and move on?
1: So from a career progression point, the really once you... Um, are successful in securing a uh, an MCS role, uh, it's really, there's nowhere above that to go in school settings. Um, you can go up a level in terms of to a bigger, maybe secondary context. Maybe you can go to a different primary school, which has more enrollments, but there's not then a, a next level job within the school setting. Uh, because we are limited and defined by the department um, that say that there will be one principal, one MCS in each school, and that is standard across primary schools, high schools, our remote schools. Um, because especially in Western Australia, we have the remote communities as well that are absolutely kilometres and kilometres away from anywhere, um, and so they have the same setup as well, even there. But There is then opportunity to um, move into central office, uh, move into our regional offices, because again, the distance, the tyranny of distance is is so big that we have divided into regions. And there are job roles you can do in there that you can move into from a MCS point of view. From a principal point of view, again, it's there's... um, We have principal consultants, which work across all the regions and across all the networks. We have central office roles. You can move into um, the teams that go out and independently review all public schools, so you can become an independent reviewer. And then there are other collegiate roles within central office as well, um, that if you decided didn't want to be in frontline education anymore you could go and be one of the directors of for example you could go into the finance department or you could go into staffing within central office that make all those larger policy-based decisions.
0: As you were talking I'm thinking is your central office more our department for education or our local authority so do you have a, a local authority where how does that work where does the other bit sit if you like?
1: Yep. Yeah. So my understanding that it basically you can't parallel it. So it's not that it's obviously easily parallel. So basically we have, Australian has the Department of Education as a whole. Each state then has its own Department of Education within that state. So our central office is the Department of Education for Western Australia. That's based in right. Perth. Um, and so you, if you are in the Perth and the metro area of Perth. It's easy to get to, obviously, for myself. It's a four-hour journey to get there. And when I was living remotely originally, it was a 17-hour drive to get there. Wow. (laughs) Not something you can do in a day.
0: (laughs) So a career progression, there's the structure around, you know, schools in Australia, which is one thing, but the geography is a whole other obstacle, isn't it? It is. Yes, definitely. And you have you have
1: those that go no, I'm going to be a metro person, and I want to teach in the city schools and the outer suburb schools of Perth. Or you have those that get no, do you know what? I'm a country person. You do then have graduates that tend to go right. I'm going to go out and try the regions, and mm. they either love it or they hate it. Um, it's it, it's a there's not normally an in between, um, and they they come out, they try it on for size, and then they run back to Perth or the other way around. They try Perth and then because there are maybe a person that was brought up in the country, they'd go to Perth and they do their degree and then they stay there for a year and then they come home to teach within maybe the town they were raised in.
0: So recruitment, difficult then? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely. Has its challenges. There is an Australian-wide shortage of every category of education staff at the moment so it's not just Western Australia it's Australia wide but especially um, when I started at Geraldton Primary I had three pages back to front of names and numbers of relief staff for education assistants which are equivalent to your teacher's assistants for cleaning staff for office staff um, for some other support staff roles I now have one page Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Um, it's,
1: it's tricky when you're in small country towns. You're, you're obviously limited to the people that you have in those towns, which is great because some of them stay in those schools for the whole of their uh, lifetime. Um, and so you've got some real good longevity there, and they know the school, they know the system. But then conversely, you get to the really big rural towns like the one we lived in in the north of uh, the state where it's a mining town. The flux of every two to three years, everybody changes, and in comes the next one, so you probably maybe have a vacancy for maybe six months before you can fill it. For teaching staff, we do have within the Department of Ed, WA, uh, what's called the Flying Squad. And it's literally exactly as it sounds. It's the uh, a team of teachers and principals that will go in and support a school if need be, or, all right, we've got a vacancy in this school here that's 2,000 kilometres away from Perth. Um, we can't fill it. We can't leave, obviously, the kids without educators. So they'll maybe send somebody up from that team and basically do that.
0: So you're telling me that if you need a supply member of staff, you have the flying squad that will just literally parachute somebody in.
1: Not for your day to day, not for your supply <laughs> teaching, um, and we call it relief. So, so you go out sick to the tomorrow, Laura. You ring me and say, "I'm really sorry, I'm not going to be well. Here's my relief notes for tomorrow." No, for a I've got a staff member that's broken their leg they've been put on an aeroplane down to a hospital in Perth and they're going to be in the hospital for six months we can't find a teacher within the town we're in that's when the flying squad would have some benefit uh, and it doesn't always work hopefully you're lucky enough that you will be able to get somebody that's willing to move a graduate teacher that's willing to come up for a term um, but they are there as the the ultra backup I guess
0: that's amazing. I think people listening will be like, we so need one of those. <laughs> Nothing to do with geography. We just need one. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> do you think that that is a benefit then of working so closely with your Department of Education? Because we're quite, not distant, but there are many layers between us, if that makes sense. You know, you are very close to yours in terms of you've got the schools, you've got your regional departments of education. Is that the benefit that you get then? Because of the geography, they can be more responsive to those issues.
1: Yeah, I think it is. I think definitely um, I can't talk about the other states because I've never lived or worked in those. But definitely within Western Australia, because we are so spread out, I think the structure had to be that... um, we could be in contact, we can have the support, we know where to go. I literally can go, oh, I need to speak to, oh, I need to speak to my staffing consultant in central office because I just want to check whether I can follow policy on putting on somebody for just a couple of terms without breaking employment rules, etc. So although I know the employment rules and although I understand them, sometimes you just need that extra kind of, is that right? Can I do that? Yeah. Because we are public sector employees, we are working for the government, there are some very strict rules around employment um, and what we can and can't do. I know my person by name. I know that person well enough that if I was in Perth uh, on a work day, I could pop into central office and say, hi, can, have you got five minutes to spare for me? I don't know everybody in central office, um, I'll definitely say that, but the key people that I kind of deal with and have some critical roles that help schools, they're they're very forthcoming in terms of with that and and building those relationships, which is great.
0: Coming back to the geography and business managers and networks, how do you network then? Because obviously you're all over the place, you know, you, you can't literally just meet up for a coffee with someone up the road you know, how does it work? So
1: where I am right now, I'm exceptionally lucky. I'm in a, what is a regional centre effectively. Um, it's a town that is the size of uh, a small country town in the UK, but we're known as the city. And so we have a fair few public primary schools. We have two public secondary schools or high schools as they're known over here and then we have uh three to four private schools also in town so we do have the ability to network here it is it's fantastic for that when you get further north and when you get further east as well those networks are harder they they aren't as often they aren't as regular we are exceptionally lucky as well that we have two professional associations in Western australia WAMSI is one Waxa is another and that again is good old acronyms but they are the West Australian Associations for School Business Staff both of them have similar roles but very different um definitions um and they have annual conferences of which a lot of training is done at those and the department support those highly as well so a lot of the more rural and regional staff attend those and that's how they do their networking it's a shame that it is only once a year um, but they get to come they get three to four days of solid back-to-back training from department staff but also external people and then they get two nights of actually being able to network with each other and to make those connections with the people that Understand their settings if they're rural and the remote, but also understand other settings as well that we all do the same kind of job role.
0: Those two nights of networking over here would be lots of gin. I think <laughs> I was I was trying to. Uh, <laughs> there's definitely a a, a, par- a party night,
1: shall we say, on each each one of the conferences. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> In terms of you said professional associations, is that? a union for you guys are they unions or is it like our isbel the institute of school business leadership because you know they're they're slightly different aren't they a professional association and a union over here anyway how how do you define them
1: so yeah very different as well over here so the same as yourselves in terms of that we have the unions and um they are exactly what they are the union are the ones that fight for your rights they basically uh we all are under categories of award and agreements for our jobs and they're the ones that negotiate those with the department and fair work and all those kind of things but the professional associations are the ones that are set up to they still fight for our rights and they still they go into bat with the department as a central voice for their membership base but they also offer professional development they offer A discount scheme uh, because you're a member with them so you can go to your local tyre place and get a bit of a cheaper rate on your tyres but they are a professional association not linked in any way to the unions.
0: You touched on there about the professional associations and professional development. What is out there for MCSs in Australia? What professional development do you have access to? Do you have the suite of qualifications that we have? Sadly, no. That is the one
1: thing that I think from following your podcast and listening and, and investigating more, we don't have. We do have access to a formal qualification, which um, we're exceptionally lucky that we can apply for a funded place through the Department of Education, and that is a postgraduate certificate in education business leadership. And that is the only formal qualification it's not a requirement it doesn't gain you anything other than beautiful kudos from your colleagues comments of are you mad from other people that have done it and uh, yeah it's a good idea for you to do it and pats on the back all around when you get qualified Um, but it's there's no other there's not a equivalent certification of a, a base level qualification to a stepping up to a diploma or anything like that. You can go off and do more generic ones. Um, For example, I have a Diploma in Management, uh, Diploma in Human Resources and Human Resource Management as well. And people do have uh, qualifications in business and business management as well.
0: Is there a criteria when you're applying for a role that you have to have a certain level of qualification, even if it's not a school specific one?
1: There is a set of criteria for the job. It is mainly set around the job role, not that you have to have a qualification. Obviously, any qualification within that realm is going to be looked upon more favourably. And so, for myself now, um, in fact, somebody asked me this the other day um, about my qualification, because I, at the closing stages of my postgraduate certificate, which if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, would I have done that? The answer would be no. But mm-hmm. what what now is the next steps? It is about if I was the next candidate moving schools, and if I was the right candidate and somebody else was very close, then maybe me having the postgraduate would give me the step over the edge in that respect. But there's no mm-hmm. you must have or, or uh, would be nice to have
0: So I feel like I need to ask you this question because everyone who comes on the podcast, I do ask them. How did you get into the role?
1: Um, So you mentioned in my uh, introduction, which I thought made me sound amazing, thank you, um, that (laughs) when we moved uh, to a small country town, which was 1,700 kilometres away from Perth, uh, was about the time my youngest daughter was in part-time school at that stage. And I was beginning to think, oh, maybe I ought to do something. And the only administration job going in the town there that wasn't on the mine site in that town was in the local high school. It was mm. an office-based job. I had no no experience of education. I had no immediate desire to think, oh, I really want to be in education. But I kind of went, I can do that job. I can make a difference and I can do those things. So let's see whether I can get it. I didn't. I didn't get the role. But the registrar, as she was at the time, said, look, we're always in need of relief staff because, again, we've talked about the tyranny of distance and having staff. Um, and so I did that, started as relief and then was lucky enough to secure a couple of days a week then a couple of days a week became full-time school officer I then stepped to a level two school officer which is just a little bit of a step up a bit more responsibility and from there um, when that my original registrar was leaving the short story is basically I decided that, yeah, I can do that role. I can see that I would fit into there. Um, my banking background gave me some understanding of the finance, the school that I understanding I gained in those couple of years. Being a school officer led me to believe that it, I could do the role. Um, and so I was incredibly fortunate. There was actually an existing MCS applied for the role as well, I now understand, But they didn't end up moving to town and so uh, I was fortunate one and that's how I gained that first role in the school I'd been working in for the past four years.
0: I mean, it sounds very similar to some of the journeys that school business managers here take. You know, we don't all come into the role at that level. You know, we've worked in other roles in the school and we've worked our way through and, like many of us as well, fell into it in some ways. Like, you go, oh, I didn't know that was a job. Oh, I could do that. I do actually remember
1: one of the internal interviews I had, I think it must have been the progression from the level one score to level two. One of the questions in the interview was, um, where do you see yourself within financial roles and within the school setting? Um, and I said, actually, and I said, I'm not being rude. I said, I, I want your job. <laughs> I can see that it's a job role. And I, I think that took them back a bit, but I, I think it gave them the, the scope that... Um, Maybe there was a bit of career progression and and succession planning there that could be had. And so I was mentored by her and shown facets of the job that I don't think I probably would have done just being the front school officer facing the the clientele of the parents and dealing with what I did. I learned hugely from her.
0: It's always lovely, isn't it, when you hear about business managers talking about other Business managers, and it is very important that we work together and mentor each other. And the networks, I think, help us with that, especially online as well. You mentioned that was a secondary school. What you know, what is the difference for you in terms of secondary versus primary? Where you are now, because I think you said you moved roles because you were moving location.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So the differences are really its size. Obviously, um, high schools or sec- senior schools tend to be larger settings, and. I had a larger team up in the northwest of WA doing lots of different things because there there was just no way, there would be no way of managing that. Whereas primary is that smaller setting and it does tend to be the same in the smaller settings. Ironically for myself, the student numbers were about the same. So because we're a rural country senior high school, I had just under the 400 student mark at the senior high, but they're just much more involved in secondary education from the back-end side of things. Whereas on the primary setting, it's very much a one-stop shop and everything revolves around the MCS. Mm. But I guess for me, it was, I was moving to a region that the MCS roles were so embedded in ladies that had grown up and been around um, the country towns. And so to actually get a role, I was grateful to be able to be successful and come in on a initially a um, long service leave cover and sort of learn that site really. And so then when that person was successful in gaining a job where they'd moved to, because they also moved, I was then, had to apply for the job, but I was a successful candidate in that role. And I think for myself now being, I guess it's my nature to be that facilitator, to be that person that can be there to plug holes, to fill gaps. And just that smaller setting allows me to see more of that and and be that person. Mm.
0: Okay, so another thing then, we've talked about primary and secondary. Let's talk about the school day and terms and holidays because in our conversations that we've had before, you blew my mind in terms of how it works over there. So start from the beginning, like what what is your term structure?
1: So we have a four-term year. That is broken into four terms standardly, uh, just depending on Easter some years, but standardly 10 week terms and none of this magical half term holidays. In fact, I was blown away when I first started in education when they told me how long I'd be working for. And then I said, sorry, where, when, when, does the half term holiday come? And they all looked at me and went, what's a half term <laughs> holiday? Um, so yes, no, we work basically 10 weeks and then we have two weeks off. And then we work another 10 weeks and we have two weeks off. We then work another 10 weeks and have two weeks off. And then we are where we are in right now, which is term four. And we are all screaming um, at currently at week three to are we nearly there yet to the end of the year, which finishes in December. So we run January to December because, of course, our summer holidays need to be when our good weather is and our good weather is in december january and february
0: so you're right first of all no half term completely blown away by that and in terms of your summer holidays is that still two weeks or do you get longer than two weeks for that
1: no so we get a six week summer break
0: right okay because i was counting up how many weeks that we were saying and i'd lost count yeah. and i thought where did the extra weeks come so you get your yeah. summer holiday your our summer six week holiday you get six weeks in december
1: yeah, so it starts, uh, we finish around the 17th of December, just before Christmas, um, and then we, we the kids come back to school, the students return um, early February, sometimes just into late January, depending on the school year.
0: I'm still struggling with this half term. In some ways, I'm thinking, <laughs> right, you always get two weeks off, but... Like by week six over here, it's like, right, I need to get off this bus now. Like someone stop, I'm going, I'm seeing you, <laughs> you know, bye. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you yeah. do it in 10 weeks? I guess
1: it's what you know. Um, I guess it's just that is what it is. It, for myself, definitely, it, It's I've never worked in a school that doesn't do that. So um, there is no get round. But yes, we do get to about week six. And we're all hanging for a um, public holiday uh, or a bank holiday, <laughs> as you guys would know them. Um, and we do look for the terms where we're getting more than one of them uh, in there. Um, and so if there's more than one, there's little happy dances going on.
0: I mean, wow. I mean, because I think we feel aggrieved when like, you know, in autumn term is like a seven week half term. So, you know, we, <laughs> we feel annoyed about that. So, yeah, I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah. So, um When I was saying to you about um, standardly their 10-week terms, there are about every three years we do have a slight change depending on where Easter falls. And then we get what we call horror year, which is a nine-week term one, which is great. But then we get an 11-week term two.
0: Oh, my. I just can't even process that. I I think people listening will be like, oh, hell on earth.
1: (laughs) And by about week six of that, of that 11-week term, we we all question how do we normally do a 10-week term? So, yeah, it's very, (laughs) very interesting. But luckily they are only now and again, they're not the norm.
0: Like you say, though, I suppose it's what you're used to, you know. So, yeah, it would be different for us. And I imagine it would be an adjustment for you coming over here, you know, if you were to work in school over here. What about your school day? Is there a you know a huge difference in terms of school days? We have some variation, but not huge. Are they long days? are they short days? So
1: most times they are just before nine o'clock till three o'clock. Each school can vary differently um in the northwest of w a because of the heat um the northwest is the hotter area of western Australia um where the temperatures will rise to school middle of the school day there'll be 35 degree days in the middle of uh spring and summer terms that they will start at 7 30 in the morning and be done by sort of quarter past half past two um, but the wow. more southern schools so that as you come back down the coastline um you do and perth based schools tend to work around the sort of nine till three basis of hours of a day
0: So at least you haven't got stupidly long days as well to go with the very long terms.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think there would be a general revolt if that happened.
0: (laughs) Okay, is there anything that we haven't covered in terms of the role in Australia and the role here that you want to highlight, whether it's a similarity or a difference or an observation maybe from the podcasts. I think mainly it's that from what I've listened to
1: is there's, so many just so many similarities really that I hear from what is the National College of Leadership in the UK that the future of education where you guys are is is not just um autonomy within schools and the way it's been going into autonomy which sounds like your maths um and that setup and being able to be more in charge of things and less local local authority and government run But just that they need, everyone needs to be more connected as well in terms of the autonomy is connected autonomy. That we're starting, we are networks of schools working together. We're not necessarily in the mat situation, but we are, schools are working collegiately, collectively. Um, And I was listening to a lady that was a head teacher from the UK system talk about that in, in almost those words in terms of that Collective group working that allows for better educational outcomes. And I think at the baseline, I think that's what all of us want, be it whether we're Mm. teaching staff, principal, leadership, office staff. um, It's about educational outcomes.
0: Always. And we all say this school business managers are a skilled workforce. And we could all earn a lot of money in the private sector, but we work in education because we want to make a difference, and we believe Absolutely. we're passionate about what we do. It's about the children it is
1: i actually it's one of my induction conversations that I have um and we talk about it is that at the end of the day i don't it doesn't matter whether you're my cleaner, whether you're my gardener handyman, whether you're the librarian, whether you're the office staff the i c t tech If you are not here, even in a support role for the children, then you're probably not in the right industry of the job because that's what we do. Everything we do goes, funnels right the way back to them Um, and providing the clean classrooms for the kids to be in is a welcoming environment for them to learn. Providing them with the right technology and having working internet is the way they can actually learn making sure they are greeted in a warm, friendly manner if they come in with that grazed knee or whatever, that that is, it's all student focused.
0: And it's what makes the job so rewarding is when you get to see the outcomes. I always say, you know, we might not be in the classroom teaching 30 children, but we do see the results of what we can deliver, you know, deploying those resources, making sure there's funding to get them the resources that they need.
1: Absolutely. And that That sends right the way back to one of our earlier conversations, Laura, about being involved with the SLT to make those decisions that they want funding to make sure the funding is going into the right areas. And how can we fund it if we don't know?
0: Now, we've met on Twitter and through the podcast, and you obviously follow a lot of UK school business managers. Is there an Australia SBL Connect or anything equivalent? So, not not in the way
1: you guys have done, and I think that level of networking is fantastic. Um, the the Twitter world, we people MTSs do have Twitter um, and do comment occasionally, but it's not so much of a, a like an online network. Um, we do have, again, through the professional associations, people will talk, and we have an internal connected network um, chat group effectively where people will go has anybody got this document before I recreate the wheel or has anybody what they've done in this situation within internally within the department but not on twitter and not social media led
0: It's, it's lovely though to to know that there are mcs is out there who are joining in with us even if it's just a little bit or at least you know listening to the podcast and having some commonality and just saying yeah even over in another country please don't feel alone
1: absolutely and i've been i've been spruiking Mm. this and spruiking yourself and and then the the connect for that everybody on there and your podcast to my colleagues here in Geraldton um, which is the town that I'm in and so yeah talking and, and getting the word out there to say look if you want to listen to something on a podcast that is work related but not work related uh, that this is great because it does just give you the that overview that it's not just here and what we're doing it's it's worldwide
0: does this mean you're going to be a bit of a celebrity in your local town now no, absolutely not.
1: <laughs> I may unsubtly not tell them I've done this.
0: <laughs> so, if, so you've said, listen to the podcast. They're going to like download it and be like, "Oh wow, there's Katie. She's on it. Oh my god!" <laughs>
1: yeah. No. Uh, if if they ask, I'll tell them that I'm on it, but um, I'm not here to self promote. That's for sure.
0: So you say that, but actually it's about networking. You know, if people have been listening today and they've got any questions for you, where can they find you? What is your Twitter handle?
1: So my Twitter handle is Olivia Aussie, a bit of a pseudonym on there, but it comes up as KD Taylor. Um, and that people can also uh, link in through uh, Instagram if they want to find me as well. Uh, and that's all listed on my Twitter handle bio if they want to find me.
0: I know we've talked a lot today, but I'm sure there'll be some questions that I haven't asked that people have thought, why haven't you asked her this? So yeah, be prepared. You may get some more questions.
1: <laughs> Absolutely happy to. Um, what I will do as well, Laura, is um, I'm happy to share my email address. If you want to put it in the show notes, then that's not a problem either. Okay, perfect.
0: Thank you so much, Katie. I have really enjoyed this and I'm still I'm still buzzing from this, you know, our first international podcast. So yes, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to speak to you.
1: Thank you, Laura. It's been an absolute pleasure um, and an honour to be invited to uh, talk to you and give a bit of a different perspective.
0: I'm just wondering how many people are going to be like, right, I'm going to be looking at job boards in Australia now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, never say never. WA is safest COVID state in in Australia. (laughs) Would you ever consider coming back here?
1: Not to live, uh, I do miss my family um, and everybody, but um, no the the lifestyle I have here with my children and my husband is is just something that is i could we couldn 't get in the u k
0: Oh it sounds lovely it does it sounds amazing. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining me today. really appreciate it, and i'm sure listeners will get immense value and interest from this thanks Laura Can I just say Wow, the power of the podcast. I never thought for a minute that when this show started, I would be talking to a school business leader in Australia. If there are any other international listeners out there, please do get in touch and tell us what you think of the show. If there's something I didn't ask Katie that you'd really like to know, you can find her contact details in the show notes on my website at www.ljbusinessofeducation.co.uk. She's also asked me to share a couple of SPL book recommendations, so I've popped those in there as well. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast on an Apple device and you like what you've heard, it would be great if you could rate and review the show as it makes it easier for others to find it. Thank you so much to everyone who has left a review already. I read and I hugely appreciate every single one. You can rate and review the show by selecting the show in the Apple podcast app, scrolling to the bottom and either tapping the stars to rate and or selecting write a review. This show is available in all of the podcast directories, so just make sure you hit the subscribe button in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.